rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity Today we're with Renee Brown and Deacon Ronnie Lostavica in our restorative justice ministry in the Diocese of Austin. I'm Father Harry Dean, also in service to the restorative justice ministry. Renee is our Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, and Deacon Ronnie is our Coordinator for Pastoral Care in the Gatesville region for restorative justice ministry. And we're continuing on today with our series on anger management. And why don't we just start with a little bit of petition to our God to help us as we enter into this topic of discussion. O wisdom, O holy word of God, you govern all creation with your strong yet tender care. Come and show your people the way to salvation. Amen. So today, I wanted to ask you, Renee, just to uh, begin things. When people have anger and it's there for a while, um, do they ever reach the point where they start to ask themselves, is this ever going to go away? Why do I have it for, for as long as I do? And, and uh, will I ever be able to get to say to myself, um, Anger is not going to be part of my life. Um, yeah. Anger is going to stick with you as long as you avoid doing the work. So in other words, you know, if you're um, feeling frustrated and overwhelmed and isolated and you've been abused or you experience trauma, there's so many things underlying anger. If you don't work on those things and healing from all of that pain Anger is something that that will stick with you. Sometimes um, when we think about anger, the trigger for your anger, I know in a previous uh, radio recording, we talked about triggers for anger, but sometimes it's not just something that recently happened. Um, It can be more general in nature, you know, um, some of your life circumstances or maybe some past experiences that still cause you distress. So sometimes our anger isn't something that was just immediate or recent. It could be something that was slow burning for a long time. And so I took some of this information from Mary, I think you say her last name, Lewith, a beautiful article that she uh, wrote about anger management and giving some help and techniques. And so some of the things that we'll talk about are If you don't heal from the things that make you angry, then there's the possibility that your anger may actually worsen over time. And what happens for a lot of folks, they're going to start using uh, drugs and alcohol maybe, right, to kind of cope with some of those feelings that are underneath that anger. Always remember that anger is, I think, on the surface. It's all this stuff underneath. And so to cope, people will often use drugs and alcohol. They're thinking they're numbing it, but often that's not the case. It just worsens uh, those feelings uh, associated with anger. Um, also, um, stress, anxiety, depression, d- uh, disappointment, even grief and loss, that is going to make the anger that you're already experiencing worse because you came into Maybe a situation feeling all this stuff, right? Maybe you're angry at your parents or maybe you're angry at your wife or maybe you're angry at the world because your life didn't turn out the way you wanted it. 
as life works, there's always layers and layers of more stuff, right? You get fired from a job. You're incarcerated. Uh, your family won't have anything to do with you. There's these layers and layers. And if you don't work on that, it just gets harder. Um, some other things that can that can make your angry uh, anger uh, worsen could be repeated frustrations when things go wrong because you've not learned maybe some good coping skills. Um, the feeling of being helpless, um, the urge of feeling helpless, I think, is one of the things that can acerbate anger tremendously. You know, when we feel helpless and we feel like we just don't know what to do, we feel kind of lost. Um, anger about previous experiences um, or harms that you've experienced may reunite uh, levels of anger. I'm working right now with a with a client who's experiencing a really challenging relationship in which her partner uses a lot of drugs and alcohol. But what she's realized is she's had several bad relationships. And so the situation with this present relationship is being ignited even more by trauma that she experienced in relationships past. So by not dealing with that past, uh, the hurt, the pain, you know, it's it's deepening those feelings of anger for her. Um, also, one of them that, that I, really sticks out for me, and this is just from doing so much counseling, is negative experiences regarding anger, uh, anger with with childhood experiences. So often we feel hurt or bruised from things that happened to us in childhood, whether it's related to our parents, school, other relationships, and we don't, we bring that with us. We carry all this baggage that hurts us, and then it makes that anger worsen. Also, when you look at family history, you want to kind of look at what was going on. Was there a lot of violence? Was I surrounded by a lot of violence? Was there a lot of yelling and screaming and I didn't see coping skills? And that leads to frustration. You know, as a kid and a teen, when you don't know what to do with emotions and feelings and you're trying to figure out stuff on your own, then that, too, can worsen your anger because you don't know how to cope. Um, Sometimes if you um, have issues with communication I don't know how to communicate my feelings. I don't even know how to identify my emotions or feelings. You know, that can lead to that deeper frustration, once again, worsening that anger. And then lack of of having individuals in your life who can be supportive, people that you can trust so you can kind of talk these things through. When you don't have that good support system around you, it can, um, you know, lead to, you know, uh, worsening anger because you don't have anybody to talk to about the things that are bothering you. Is there a strategy that happens for some people where, given everything that you've just said, I never saw it modeled for me about how to do uh, effective coping skills. And so really all I know is rage and outburst and expressions of that nature where my strategy is I'm just going to make friends with it. I'm not going to do anything to get rid of it. It's what I know. Um, I'm more scared of changing from how I understand to handle things by way of emotional outbursts, i.e. anger, not addressing the underlying issues, all of the above. And I'm going to set my sights on other things in life where I just don't have to pay attention to this, even though it's actually on a daily basis harming me. And I can tell it's not making me the fullest person that I can be. But, you know, by golly, I've got other things to deal with, so I'm just not going to deal with it at all. If a 
do people reach that point, first of all? And if they do, what do they do? I think there are people who probably reach that point. And I think what holds them back, there's a couple of things, right? It can be fear. You know, so many of our behaviors or even anger, it kind of becomes like a second nature kind of thing to us. This is just who I am. We we actually adapted or in our mind, we make it about who we are as a person and it's not. Anger is not who you are. Anger is a response to so many things that have happened to you or situations you've put yourself in or experiences. So it's not a part of you. And absolutely, everybody makes a choice. You can continue in that cycle of anger, which only hurts you. You cannot uh, probably establish or maintain uh, trusting positive relationships when you Hold on to this. So you really leave yourself stuck if you don't work on your anger and and learning coping skills. But more importantly, I think digging into to the things underneath that anger, that's really hard for people because there's so much, you know, hurt and pain. There's things that people maybe don't want to look back on. If you grew up in a home where there was a lot of, of abuse and violence and and hurt and pain that you experienced, you don't want to go back and look at that. I don't want to. I don't want to feel that again because it felt so bad the first time I would, or repeatedly if you grew up in an environment your whole life of just, you know, distressing situations where you didn't have good support. You may not want to revisit that. But I always encourage people that the more you look at something and the more you're honest about this is what happened to me or this was my experience, it will get easier and easier over time. It's kind of part of that healing process. Which I would suspect, and we can all uh, access this, is God reaching out and saying, my dear child, this state of affairs that you're in is not one that you have to stay with. I have something better for you. I have a peace. I have a sense of tranquility. I have a purpose for you in life. And if we don't get off this high point, which is your anger, and go on and move along, um, I'm not going to be able to work my love as effectively through you. And you're not going to be able to receive my love as effectively. Um, I know this is in your heart, so let me inflame your heart and, and bring you that healing, which is why I want to bring in Deacon Ronnie now with the anger management class that he's teaching uh, currently at one of our units uh, in restorative justice ministry and and ask the question, okay, let's say someone listens to the voice of God in their heart and they say, you know what, um, as afraid as I am to, to change this situation that I'm in, I know I need to make a try. What do I do? First of all, the act of our will will move us to at uh, least trying to uh, move ourselves away from what our past practices have been. And practically every one of us uh, has some parasitic anger blind spot. Uh, and how do we know that? We repeat the same patterns with the same poor results over and over again. And it's, it's an emotional uh, blind spot for us that we have to, first of all, become aware of. And um, part of what the Pathways for Positive Change is meant to do is to move us to some uh, form of self-assessment and to free us from this parasitic anger thinking, uh, promoting uh, mental flexibility and tolerance for reality by substituting probability thinking rules for the black and white um, absolutist 
parasitic thinking of our past lives. So uh, we talked about the beliefs uh, in one of our previous segments, and I think um, beliefs or belief systems, however our core beliefs are formed, represent your convictions from what is true and what is false, what is right or what is wrong. And oftentimes your, your beliefs are fused with the meaning to give to your life, to things, to why people do what they do. And our beliefs influence whether we tend to view situations on a scale as probabilities or in black and white terms. So some uh, will be facts-based beliefs, and some will contain partial truths, and some will be fuzzy or false. So, of course, you'll, when we evaluate, we judge and we organize your actions through the combinations of, of, of this cognitive process. That includes logic, reasoning, reasoning, insights, uh, rules of thumbs, and so forth. But your beliefs are often, they often color that process uh, as well as your perceptions and your uh, expectations from them. So one of the things that we worked with uh, in our class has been a, a, a model that was uh, developed by a, a psychologist, Albert Ellis, a rational emotive Emotive behavioral uh, theory—it's uh, REBT techniques—and he comes up with an he came up with an acronym of ABCDE, and ABCDE approaches are are to uh, help us with positive changes. Uh, they're uh, they're um, simply using these acronyms for us to to just kind of assess the situation instead of just uh, jumping into it. First of all. We would say uh, A is the activating event. Activating events are situations with the power to trigger the emotions and the actions. Uh, They can be pleasant, such as seeing an old friend, or they can be unpleasant, uh, such as being yelled at by your boss. Uh, If you feel a wave of natural anger, that means a threat is near and the attack may be uh, your safest choice. But... But with parasitic anger, you rightly or wrongly view the event as adverse and you automatically default to negative inciting thoughts. And based on how much you make of the situation, your aroused anger will range in magnitude from minor to severe. And because anger occurs in degrees, you always have the power to exercise some control over your your anger and your reactions. But many of the events that can trigger parasitic anger, uh, whether you respond parasitically, depends on the meaning that you give to that situation. So you'll likely take situational factors into account. And if you say, for instance, you come across an inebriated, disoriented person uh, and he's starting to curse at you loudly, well, you may shrug it off and you may figure out that, well, he's, you can expect that from someone who's drunk or, or and he's uh, not to act so, sober. Uh, would you angrily yell back at that person? Probably not. But um, what you might do is um, would get us to, the, to our second point in this acronym series, and that's the beliefs, your beliefs. And you filter many emotion-type experiences through beliefs. Uh, the beliefs medi- mediate. Um, they'll either provoke, trigger, activate, or amplify how you feel. And so some will be plausible. Some will be reasonable, logic, or fact-based. 
Others may be biased, uh, disoriented, irrational beliefs. So people, um, for instance, I'll give you an example of someone that's um, struggling with a parasitic uh, something from their past, and this was one of the things we talked about in the anger factors, is if, if you have someone that's it always has to be right, or people must always agree with me. Uh, that's their basis for their beliefs. Then that's going to trigger uh, this uh, irrational response, and the, the the belief is irrational, and so their anger is aroused from an irrational belief, uh, practically uh, from this parasitic past. And then the next thing that quite often will come will be the blame. Uh, there will be some type of cognitive form of, 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 of blaming uh, that will, will p- follow uh, that, that pattern of, of, in belief. The um, third part of this acronym is the C, letter C, which stands for our consequences. Our consequences are emotional or behavioral results for, follow from what you believe about the activating event. So we have the activating event. We have we, the beliefs that we've formed, either factual or, or uh, ir- irrational, about the, the event. And then the consequences would be the third parset. And this, these may be episodes of, of physical ye- yelling or fighting or indirect, which would be uh, some form of gossiping or backstabbing. And these are ag- aggressions that boomerang in the form of retaliation. Uh, an anger cycle that triggers more anger, thinking, and feelings. And then um, last but not least is that lingering memories of anger experiences that, that are uh, too late to resolve. And then the, the, the fourth component of this Ackerman series is the dispute. And uh, this is where the rational emotive behavior therapy kicks kicks in. And it means for us to question and challenge our irrational beliefs that, stimul- that stimulate negative emotions and behavioral outcomes. So by separating the, the parasitic, the irrational belief, from the factual beliefs, you've, you're beginning to make a start in this process. Um, and as you work through uh, the, um, the, the practice, for instance, you would say, for instance, if 12 people were to observe the same event that you've just experienced um, that you believe that's triggered your anger, would they come up with the same conclusions? So that's stepping back, taking a look at what you've just experienced and asking the question, and you're, you're, you're pausing uh, to consider alternative appraisals of what you're actually uh, thought you perceived to be, to be true which may not be true at all. Uh, the second part is, is what part of your anger thinking is likely to be rational, verifiable, or factual? And at this point, you're, you're looking for evidence and proof. And then thirdly, what part of my anger thinking is likely to be parasitic, or in other words, irrational? And then recognizing this thinking and knowing it to be changeable can bring relief. And lastly, does the beliefs that, that we hold about this situation advance or detract from achieving constructive goals? Uh, this question can lead to focusing your attention 
on your priorities rather than on the distractions or the, the fictional problems that, that you've created there. And lastly, in the acronym series is the effects. And new effects come from your efforts to examine your thinking, test new behaviors, and generate a, a fresh perspective. And I have to tell you, it's, 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 it changes everything about how you go about uh, the experience that you're in. Uh, you're not going to allow it to drag you off. You're going to sit there and approach it and just methodically work through it and give yourself permission to, to do the good work that you've begun and in, in saying that, no, it's not, I'm not just going to repeat this cycle over and over again. I'm going to be more tolerant with, my, with what I'm working with here. And we'll go into more, some more specifics here um, a little later in, in, our, in our shows. But, but that, 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 that approach is, is very um, um, useful each and every time you encounter a situation of this nature. You used a word in there in the next to last one, which was relief. And so let's say I am somebody who is hearing all of this, I'm slowly beginning to be convinced by what you have said, Renee, and what you have said, Deacon Ronnie, that there is an alternate path for me other than the anger that I am so accustomed to rolling out whenever I run into these conflict situations or any stimulus situation. But I have found a measure of relief when I use my anger, and I'm unconvinced that what you're offering is going to be a greater measure of relief. My question to you, Renee, is can that happen that way mentally in a similar fashion to people who cut as a relief? Can anger become a dysfunctional, I feel a sense of relief like I do when I cut? Therefore, I'm having greater obstacles to making the jump to another way other than anger, other than cutting, because that's I know one of the things that gets ta- taught for cutting is you you get you find out that that's not an appropriate way to find relief, even though you are finding relief, and there are better ways to do it that don't leave you with self harm. Anger, I would suppose, is a form of self harm as well. If I'm choosing it over other forms of relief, do do people's brains get that way too? Uh, similarly, with anger as with cutting. You know, I never really thought about that until you just proposed that question. Absolutely, I would think that there could be relief in in being angry. I mean, I'm thinking about my own self or some people I've encountered, right? Being angry about something and maybe the behaviors that go along with, with anger, I think, could give somebody relief. For example, if you're angry and then you go off on somebody, you know, you putting them in their place and telling them off and you feel very powerful in that moment, there is some relief in that, that, oh, I protected myself and I said what I thought. Is that maybe appropriate? Was it a good way to handle a situation? Is it helping a relationship? Probably not. But in those moments with some people, it could feel like a relief, like, oh, I expressed myself. I expressed what's going on with me. The reality is, is if you didn't talk about the things underneath, like frustration, hurt, feeling isolated, feeling ignored, uh, traumatizing experiences, if you didn't really get to the core of it when you're talking to somebody, then it was really meaningful, uh, meaningless, right? And so um, 
it is a sense of relief, but it's not really an an appropriate way to have relief. And really, you just hurt yourself more in the long run because you are still avoiding all the feelings underneath the anger. So I would sum that up to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, it really isn't relief. No, it's it pretends a, to be relief. It's a false sense of it's relief. It's a false sense of relief. Yep. So the work that we're talking about and will continue to talk about is really the road to that recovery. And one way we might be able to look at it for all of us who are people of goodwill and, and have conscience, I may try and talk myself into believing that that's relief. But what I'm finding is it's only relief for me. It's not relief for everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm being selfish. I'm taking an easy path for a quick something that really isn't fixing anything. And as I grow in my faith in Jesus Christ and come to know that who I am is someone to be there for others, this is not a for others practice. If I just sit in my anger and say that little relief that I get is enough and I'm not going to do all this work. So there's a better way. Absolutely. And we're looking at a better way. And that's what Deacon Ronnie is teaching in the class. Mm -hmm. That's what your your principles from psychotherapy are, are, are telling us. And I just I wanted to go through that exercise just to kind of be able to, to put on the table for any of us out there that, that struggle with that, that just that say, I've found an awful lot of positives in my way of thinking for keeping my anger. <laughs> we're trying to talk you out of that. And, and get you to see that among the many ways that the evil one works in our lives, the father of lies, is to try and convince us that something looks good when really it's not. And this is the way, the relational way, to come back into communion with other people, to be able to talk with folks instead of push them away because anger does that. All of the above. And as we continue with our series, uh, that's certainly part of our desire is to, to have us understand that doing this work that Deacon Ronnie and, and Renee are, are talking about is going to be worth your while, is going to draw you closer to others and therefore draw you closer to the Lord. And if you hear that little voice in your head that's saying, oh, just stay with your anger because it's good enough, don't listen to it. It's not telling you the truth. There are other ways to go. It's not. And what it's telling you is I'll just stay with my self-centered ways. Mm -hmm. My self-centered ways are going to draw me back into that parasitic response that I'm used to getting that quick relief from. But it's it's dangerous because I haven't gone anywhere. But that other centered response is going to challenge those irrational beliefs and move me into a, a thinking in a different way. Uh, for instance, if I say I must achieve perfection in every way or else, uh, I'm a failure or I'm a horrible person, then I'm consigning myself to that irrational belief. If I say I must, you must love me and treat me uh, as I wish or else, uh, you are a horrible person at, who deserves punishment. Um, the other irrational belief would be to say that life it must be easy and fair or otherwise it's just horrible. And um, what we would move you to and suggest that, that uh, we would move away from that parasitic, irrational thinking to what if I make a good effort at what I'm doing? It doesn't require perfection, mm -hmm. but I'll likely most do well. So I've changed that scenario to say, uh, I just need to do my part. I just need to do a good faith effort and whatever it is that, that's in front of me. Or how about this? If I treat you well, there's a high probability that you'll reciprocate in a positive way than if I treat you poorly. 
See, I'm treating you mm-hmm. the way that I would like others to treat me. And so I, that becomes my, my practice my, instead of my expectation that everyone must love me. And the third probability that I would offer to you today is that if you put in the effort to learn to do something to improve uh, your life, uh, you'll get further faster than if you insist on life to being automatic and easy and comfort. Again, we're back to just doing our part. Well, thank you both today. This is a, a great uh, beginning to uh, the closing out of our series on anger management. We have more to bring to you, and we hope that you'll stay with us for the succeeding sessions uh, to uh, bring ourselves away from that which divides us and allows us to come back to that which joins us together. Let's begin with a prayer. O sacred Lord of ancient Israel, who showed yourself to Moses in the burning bush, who gave him the holy law on Sinai Mountain, come, stretch out your mighty hand to set us free, free from our anger, free from our selfishness, open and able to share the gifts that God has given us through the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you walk with me, brother, 